Hello, everyone, and welcome to the brand new edition of the Provcast. My name is Court, and I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Community Church. And I'm your faithful host, as always, to discuss all the topics that we all know you're dying to hear. And so today's episode is a conversation with Lauren Schreiber, who is the director of Providence Road Academy, and she has also served as our women's ministry director for years now. In this episode, we're going to discuss the upcoming launch of our foundation classes in Providence Road and the importance of biblical literacy for Christians and for the future of the church. Welcome to the Provcast, Lauren. Thank you. Lauren currently serves, as I said, as the director of Providence Road. Um, she has served as our women's ministry director for, well, really since the beginning of Providence. Um, and she is a, the wife to Donovan Schreiber. For those of you who That's don't right. know Donovan, you might see him making sure that everyone's safe outside, kicking out the charismatics in church as an usher. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's I'm charismatic, so I could say that. Uh, Lauren's also the mother of two children, Elliot and Austin. We're so glad that you're here. So tell us a little bit about Providence Road, um, what you're hoping for, what you're looking forward to, uh, to see in the upcoming year, what we want to accomplish. Yeah, so Providence Road um, really has been a big vision that um, we've had for a long time and we're trying to kick it off now. So the goal of Providence Road is to equip disciples theologically for the mission of making the gospel unignorable in our city, which is what the vision of Providence is. And so what we want to do through Providence Road is really provide teaching or learning environments that um, exist for the sake of maturing disciples. So when we talk about Providence, we have kind of a vision to make mature and mobilize disciples. And so Road really um, focuses on the the part that is maturing disciples. And so really what we believe is that spiritual maturity comes with the transformation of mind, heart, will, all surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so um, this one really focuses on us growing in what we believe. So the, the uh, focus on our mind, but ultimately that's going to inform how we, what we feel about God, what we believe about God and, um, ultimately what we do. So it, it, uh, comes out in our a- actions. And so the transformation of our mind, our heart will also transform what we do, how we live, how we give, how we speak, how we um, interact in our relationships, in our daily lives, running errands, all of that is affected um, by what we believe about God. And so um, Road really focuses on that uh, mind transformation, part of our sanctification. And really it's a big vision, so there's a lot to Road. I think the first time I sat down with you, you were like down in 2025, what we're doing with the Road. So we had to back up a little bit, but really the, the initial phase of Road, what we're doing this year is we're going to be releasing three foundational classes, which you mentioned. Um, and really these cover basic Christian concepts. So we're going to be starting with um, understanding God's story, which is understanding the story of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And we can talk a little bit more about that if you want to. Um, we'll also be doing class, uh, courses on um, core Christian beliefs and then spiritual formation through discipline. So really just core foundational concepts. And then also in the first year, what we're going to be doing, um, we're, we're making plans to begin a gap year program that will be available for graduating high school seniors. And we're working in partnership with our director of student ministry, Scott, in order to be able to provide that 
here at Providence. And so, like I said, there's a lot of vision, but really the goal is to be able to equip disciples theologically to make the gospel unignorable in our city. So I said a lot. So tell me if you have (laughs) questions out of that. No, that's good. I, I was thinking if someone, you know, obviously everything that we do when we're preaching on Sundays, um, home groups, uh, men's and women's ministries, uh, even, even the outreach programs that we do, all of those things play a role in maturing, uh, the disciple. Yeah. And so that's obviously recognized. Uh, I just wanted to ask the question, you know, what do you, what types of benefits do you see in creating these type of learning environments in Providence Road, particularly, um, that will help in the, in the maturity side? You know, I guess, I guess what makes, um, this venue and these environments are different than a Sunday morning, different than home group, different than any other situation they might find themselves in, uh, in the life of our church. Yeah. So it really gives us an opportunity to engage our mind, understanding the word of God, being able to read the Bible ourselves as believers, um, which is really important because if you think about everything else we engage in culturally, our mind is going to be engaged when we're, you know, reading the news these days, or we are in conversations with other people. um, The question about what we believe, why we believe it, that is going to come up. And so uh, engaging our mind in our spiritual formation is so key as well to really be able to strengthen our faith um, because we understand what we believe. Um, the questions are going to come at us. It's asking those questions first ourselves. And so we've really thought through that. We understand how we would respond and ultimately believe it ourselves. So, right. Yeah. yeah I think, uh, I, I wonder sometimes, um, if, if the moment that we're in calls for an even greater commitment to, uh, theological understanding, or if it's always been the case, but maybe this just makes it more clear. You know, I, it's not like, it's not like all of a sudden theology matters. It's like, it's always mattered. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would probably make the case that a lot of the reason that we are where we are both culturally in the church and maybe culturally as a society is because we've lost some theological framework, uh, and become more okay with, um, assuming things about who God is and who we are. Um, in light of that, uh, the nature of man, the fact that we're sinful and broken mm-hmm. and in, in need of a savior, um, you know, all of those things, they aren't just things that you hear at church. Um, and I guess 50 or 60 years ago, they aren't just things that you would hear in Sunday school, but those are things that actually make an impact in day-to-day life. So I think Providence Road hopefully will serve to address those things yeah. uh, fundamentally. But And I think it's in Philippians, I like could be getting the the book wrong, but where it it says to think about things that are true, acceptable, honorable. When I think about our mind dwelling on Scripture itself, I think that's a key part of that. You know, being whole minded towards the Lord, it helps us when our mind um, could be overwhelmed by other things or thoughts of you know things that might make us afraid or things that we might be struggling with. But to fill our minds with the Word of God, I think is is going to be key as we proceed forward and having a kind of a whole-minded approach to the Lord. Yeah, I wanted to, I, I, like, as as we think about Providence Road, I, I think about uh, biblical literacy. And, and I wrote down some quotes that I wanted to throw your way um, from, a, from a handful of different sources, and I'll tell you what they are, and, and talk a little bit about the Bible. Why do we think that there needs to be a not just a doubling down, but maybe a, a tripling down on what Christians ought to believe, what Christians have always believed, and how that shapes life. Um, I want to read you a few quotes, and then I want to spend some time letting you react to them and, and just get your thoughts. Um, these are 
these are a few a few quotes that are a little bit longer, so bear with me, and then I'll just get your thoughts. The first one uh, is from George Gallup and Jim Costelli. So obviously, like the Gallup polls that you see um, all over the internet, um, it says this: Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it, and because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. Goes on to say. Fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to data from the Barna Research Group, so that's like the Barna Group, uh, George Barna. Why is the guy's all named George, by the way? Anyway, keep going. (laughs) 60% of Americans can't even name five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder people break the Ten Commandments all the time. They don't know what they are, said George Barna. The bottom line, increasingly, America is biblically illiterate, close quote. Albert Moeller is the next one. He says this, multiple surveys reveal the problem in stark terms. According to 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse, which, of course, that's Not true. Yeah, Benjamin, <laughs> Benjamin Franklin. Uh, those identified as born-again Christians uh, did better by 1%. So, so if you self-identified as a born-again Christian, you... You did better by 1% on that one, on that survey. Some of the statistics are enough to perplex even those aware of the problem. A Barna poll indicated that at least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. We're in big trouble. Close quote. What do you think about those? quotes well i have so many thoughts but i want to say during that last quote by albert moeller if you thought any of those things were true that's a great reason to participate in the providence road academy because that is where we're going to walk through scripture and and help you understand the story of scripture from genesis to revelation so that if you if you thought man i didn't know that or i i don't know how to you know i don't know uh more than five of the ten commandments something like that that came up while you're listening to those quotes that's a great reason why you might be interested in taking one of our um foundational classes but well and maybe that's a good thing to mention is if you know you i think a lot of christians i hear this a lot particularly as a pastor um, yeah, I just don't know my Bible that well. I'm not qualified to do X, Y, or Z, or I'm not even qualified to go to a class like that. Cause that seems to be about, that seems to be a class or a place for people who really know their Bibles. And I just think, well, if anything, these statistics, even though they're shocking in some ways and maybe make us and rightly they sh- they should shock us into making changes. They also should let all Christians know that they're not the only ones who don't know these things. Yes. Um, like if you feel like, hey, man, I'm going to be really way behind. Maybe you won't be that that far behind. And maybe it that's maybe that's the enemy's ploy to keep you from ever getting to a place where you feel like you're ahead or even on, on par. You know, that's a good point. Yes. And I think I mean, it's so important for us to know our Bible like these quotes make us realize. I mean, it's it helps you understand what what is our faith if we don't know the faith that we believe in. I mean, I think being a part of the church in America does allow us in some ways or has allowed us in the past to have kind of a passive faith. We're surrounded kind of by, you know, a Christian subculture that we can kind of belong to but not engage in. And the time for that, I mean, I don't think that was ever the right approach. I think always we want to approach our faith in an active way. 
But really, in order to do that, I mean, the Bible is the word of God. So we should desire to know it and to to read it and to be in it. Um, And, um, you know, I think that it is just becoming more and more important as we do as culture keeps throwing different things at us. You know, Ephesians 4 says that um, not to be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning. And, uh, human cunning. and so I think that, um, you know, knowing the word is and being literate is going to be so important in order to really combat teaching or doctrine that is not in the word. And I think the danger is sometimes is that we could believe in God. And if we aren't reading our Bible, it might not even be a truth about God. It might not be uh, something that he says or does or believes or loves. And so we really, as believers, want to align with who God says he is. We want to love who God says he is and not who we want him to be. And sometimes that's hard, to be honest. You know, we read things and we're, you know, as humans, we can be like, ooh, that. I'm really going to have a wrestle through that because that's that's hard for me to understand. I'm approaching God with my human brain. And so, but it's going to, it's so important for us to read who God says he is through his word and yeah. to, um, and to, to love God for who he says he is. I think C.S. Lewis had the quote, he said, uh, if your God never disagrees with you, then it's not God you're worshiping, but yourself. So if yes. God if God never says anything that shocks you, if God never says anything that rubs you the wrong way, then then He's no longer God. It's the it's the God you fashion in your own mind that um, that really is just looking in the mirror. You know, like narcissist who looks into the pool of the water until he dies there because he can't you know he can't bear to not look at his own reflection. That's what our gods become when they never disagree with us. And yeah, so, and that's so dangerous because then you know, we are making God who we we want Him to be. Um, well, you it's know, a constant positive feedback loop. If yeah. God's always telling you you're do you're not the problem, you're great, you're a snowflake, you're you're amazing, you're never doing anything wrong. Well, then you get caught in that positive feedback loop where you know the only the only thing that can shake you out of your bad behavior is a God who comes from without. Yeah. And and authoritatively calls you out. Yes. Um, but if you don't if you don't have any room for that. Yes. Then there's trouble on the horizon because what's going to really you know an object that's in motion will stay in motion. And yep. so it's like you're headed somewhere, yep. and if that place is not great, then unless you have the Lord, then yeah, that's very dangerous. You know, and, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, the dangerous too in that is that then the God who you have created or believe in in your mind is different than the God that I am. The, the beautiful thing about the Bible is it's really our anchor of truth. It is becomes our standard and we all align to it. And even if we struggle through a scripture and you and I disagree ultimately on the interpretation, we are both aligning to that scripture. And so we can have some healthy disputes maybe um, or disagreements, but ultimately we hold one standard of truth and that, that is the Bible. And as believers, that's our goal. And so, um, it takes away that danger of kind of you creating something that you believe in, I, me creating something I believe in, and then we are just so off base and, and can't, you know, agree on anything. Right. It's the antidote to our post-truth society that, we are, that we're living in, but it's, it's not necessarily popular. You know, I, before I read this next quote, I wanted to ask you, do you have any theories as to how we got to this place? Um, I, I mean, not that, not that the church has ever been perfect. Or that the church has not had its flaws throughout the seasons of uh, history, but it does feel like we are here, let's just say 100 years ago, when people were less literate 
Like, so less people could read. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me like, but more people knew their Bibles. I would say, by and large, if you read history books, that's true. Like, Alexis de Tocqueville was a guy who, it's a French guy who came to America and wrote about what was unique about the American continent. And one of the things was he found that education was was rampant. You know, you could find education in the urban cities, but you could also find them on the mountaintops. But the other thing he said was religion, that basically, even though everyone didn't have the same sort of Protestant uh, they had a bunch of denominations, in other words. He said that everyone basically agreed on the core fundamental truths of the Bible about what's right and wrong, you know, who Jesus is and what he died and rose to do. Do you have any ideas or theories as to, like, how we got to the place where we don't know even, well, let's say five of the Ten Commandments, you know. We don't know, we don't really know basic things like the disciples' names or or really, like, with basic biblical knowledge, how do we get to this place? Because I think it's easy to point fingers and laugh and say, ha-ha, look at us, we're terrible. But what, you know, that's not yeah. helpful. There's no help there. It's like, if you don't know what mistake you made, you can't rectify it. Yeah. Um, well, I should probably turn this question around to you because I feel like you would have many <laughs> theories on what has happened. I have a few. If I had to say what happened is, is it really becomes, became saturated and it was this kind of slow move towards a passive faith where it became kind of like the, the col- cultural um, background was Christianity and no one was really confronted with the true gospel message for themselves. And so just over time, it kind of, that, that, uh, the truth has been diluted over time and overwhelmed by other um, things coming into our culture or, you know, politically and all of that that we're overwhelmed with right now. And because there was no really strong foundation, it's been um, overtaken really easily. Um, and, you know, just in some ways, the the saturation of Christian concepts in our culture, I think, when we talk about Bible literacy and our time spent um, reading and learning the Bible um, here as Christians in America, I often think about the persecuted church where you hear stories of them having like one page of the Bible that they're like stuffing in their cheek in order to preserve it. And then they're memorizing that one page and sharing that one page. It's just because they don't have access to the word of God, their value of the word of God is so high that they are memorizing just one page if that's the morsel of scripture that they have access to. And I think sometimes now we have so much access to it. It's almost a you know, a privilege for us. You know, I could probably look around this room that we're sitting in and find 10 copies of the scripture. And um, we don't seem to have that same kind of hunger for it because it's almost, you know, so readily available to us. And sometimes I wish we would learn a little bit from seeing how Christians who are in persecuted places are approaching the Bible and yeah, I think you're right. desire for it. I think that that's that's definitely definitely something that has happened. Decadence leads to... Mm -hmm leads to passivity and and so so then you take for granted i mean and that's kind of the story of the bible right like that's the children of israel yes they cry exactly. out for a redeemer <laughs> uh god is is a, is a faithful redeemer and then they they are blessed by god falling back into their idolatry which you know it's it's not as though no one has said that american christians are idolaters i feel like that's a pretty common refrain but we are and and we have just like every other human is, but it's it manifests itself in such a uh, deceptive way that we don't think we are, and so I I think that that's part of the degradation. And then you, you with the passivity, I've had this thought of 
the turn from preaching, the act of preaching on a Sunday morning at the gathering from a holy and sacred act of hearing from God and his word into some sort of pseudo entertainment um, where you basically get to pick. It's the ne- yeah. it's the negative side of some of what I think De- Tukeville was saying was good, which is that the red, the availability of just going down the road to another church, if it's more entertaining um, you know, obviously we, we've known for a long time that worship can become that with music, but I think preaching can become that too. It's, is the preacher entertaining? Yeah. Um, and entertainment has a, like watching, um, football, let's say like on a, on a Sunday afternoon, it both biologically and spiritually is different for you than the revelatory word of God. Um, like actually, actually having your mind engaged to, to hear from God, to consider his words, to meditate on his words, to think about what's being said and then receiving what's being said. You know, like if you, if someone goes to a lecture, uh, in, in, uh, let's say college or, you know, whatever classroom that's different than watching a movie. Yeah. You know, one's, one's, uh, merely passive and the other one, there's an expectation that you're going to do something with the words that are being communicated and that the information that's being delivered. And so I do see there's been a turn towards, well, the act of preaching is more entertaining, or at least it seems like that's what is desired Yeah, and rewarded, which I think you get what you reward. I mean, I just think you're, you're, you're hitting on, um, something totally different right now, but it's applicable here too, is just how we, through use of things like social media, our attention span is just lessening and it becomes harder to engage sometimes in, in things like sitting and reading your Bible, wrestling through those texts because we are in a place where information is coming to us so quickly that our brains are used to absorbing kind of split second information over and over again. And I experienced this myself. Like it is becoming more of a challenge to sit and really do deep work deep thinking because my brain's just like hungering for little entertaining tidbit. It's, it's like screen well, it's, sc- it's funny. <laughs> scrolling I think through reels. We, like. So we thought that this was true. Um, I, I mean, I heard this for like the last five to 10 years, even when I was writing my book on social media, I would read articles about this, but it wasn't until the last year or so that I actually read studies that it's biologically a fact that oh, our yeah. brains are being rewired by social media. And our attention spans are being rewired. So it's not just the reason that I even knew this as a, as something to consider was that 10 years ago, maybe, maybe it's been longer than that by now. Everyone knows I famously preach too long. And so I remember I was given a book (laughs) called, um, it's, it's a really good preaching book. Actually, it's called saving Eutychus. I don't know if you know the story of Eutychus Mm. in the book of Acts, but he's the little boy who falls to sleep because Paul preaches too long and dies. Okay. So it's like, how do you save Eutychus from falling to sleep in the middle of your sermon? And, uh, and it was a really good book, but the idea was, and this is where I, I, I agreed that I could get better at preaching shorter, so that's why I read the book. But fundamentally, an idea that I always argued was, we, we did student ministry together, and the idea was this, young people are from a different generation, and they can't stay, they can't keep their attention on you for that long. Yeah. And that crept over into adults, and I noticed that most liturgical services, you know, it was like, you need to preach for 10 to 15 minutes yeah, because no one's going to listen to you longer than that. Um, and to me that seemed to be, well, that's madness. I mean, I just, I, I knew it wasn't true because I had done missions work yeah, 
and even it was even though it was short term missions work, I had preached enough in other countries, and them begged me to preach longer. And I was preaching through a translator, and probably not good. Yeah. And so, so the fact that they had be- they basically begged me, please keep going. Uh, I knew that yes. it, this was not something that was this was unique to the Western world, and it was it was something that we were accepting. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until recently that I actually saw it in science. Like, oh no, it's not just that we were recognizing something, and 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 maybe then trying to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, make each other feel better. I'm. <laughs> euphemistically by saying well it's it is what it is kind of it actually biologically is happening to us mm-hmm. there's a rewiring of our brain and so i wonder if you know the bible requires that kind of deep thinking because it's not just head work it's heart work it's soul work yes and so it requires us to rely on the spirit strength and not the flesh to actually not to, well i'm just not going to understand that and that's right. so we are very weak-minded in that way yeah Oh, well, I'm just not smart enough for that. It's like, no, that's not how this works. You know, that's why Jesus chose disciples that were not learned. Right. <laughs> it's so that we could never say, well, I'm not smart. Well, Peter couldn't read. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he, and he was clear, he clearly knew more theologically than we could ever know in a lifetime. So we can. Yes. By the power of the spirit. I just, I think that's a really good point. The attention span factor plays into the entertainment factor. Yeah. Hand it, in hand. It's all really connected and, and, um, Things like the Road Academy will help us to kind of exercise those muscles of some deeper thinking, of right. spending some time in the text, because ultimately, as we strengthen those muscles, it becomes easier to do. But you should expect Soreness. at the beginning, it feels a little uncomfortable. Yes, yes, it can be hard. Sometimes you have to reset your mind, you know, 20 times while you're trying to read through a chapter or two of, of the Bible. And so um, it really does help, though, to, to kind of work that muscle out. And regain some of that because I think it's really going to be important for us as believers to be able to kind of continue to to fight against that move towards quick entertainment, you know, and and us to really slow down and and it, because one of the, the the big struggles that it it ends up impacting us as believers too is our ability to sit and pray mm-hmm. and keep our mind focused on the Lord. So it's all connected. You know, right. all these things are connected and, and us being able to um keep our, our our minds on a single focus and practicing that is is becoming now a spiritual formation. Well it's it's, it's terrifying. I mean if we can spend a lot of time on this and I have a few more quotes I wanted to read to you, but the it's like being spiritually schizophrenic. You know, yeah. you're just kind of, you're everywhere. You're all over the place. You you have, you know, you can't stay in one place, one frame of mind, one, yeah. you know, even, what is it? The, the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways is what the book of James says. So we don't think about attention span or our lack thereof as being a double-mindedness issue. But it means that we're not singular in our focuses. We're not singular in our passions. We're not singular in our thoughts and our worldview. Yeah. Um, you know, we could be changed about our worldviews by a Facebook post. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 pro this or anti this, depending upon what so and so said on their status or. Yeah. A celebrity put posted a video, and now I changed my mind. These are all, you know, it's it's a uh, this fragmented mind sets the stage for being that unstable person. Yeah. You know, which is you read it earlier from Ephesians, but not being tossed to and fro. Yeah. Well, how do you do that? Well, we need that steady state focus. You know, you called it deep work or, you know, the Bible talks about meditating on the word of God day and night. Yeah. It's a steady state focus of heart and mind on God's word. So, okay, I got a couple more uh, to read you. This is another quote from Mueller's article. So okay. throwing another Al Mueller at you. <laughs> Here we go. 
He says, um, as he goes on, recovery starts at home. Parents are to be the first and most important educators of their own children, diligently teaching them the word of God. See Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Parents cannot franchise their responsibility to the congregation, no matter how faithful and biblical it may be. God assigned parents this non-negotiable responsibility, and children must see their Christian parents as teachers and fellow students of God's word, close quote. So what do you say about the role of parenting in biblical literacy? How can parents begin to take responsibility for becoming theologically equipped in order to form their children? So this is a big one, especially for us. We have been talking a lot about imparting the gospel to the next generation. What do you say? Yeah, and our goal as a church is always to partner with parents. So we want to always come alongside parents and help them in this. But it is key for parents to really take primary responsibility um, in parenting their kids and equipping their kids theologically. Um, Because as parents, we are the ones that are at home every day with our children. And they are watching us respond and watching how we live our lives. So the time we're taking to read our Bible, the time we're taking to pray with them. But it's really, really important. You know, one thing that I have um, tried, I just have my daughter, Elliot, who's six. She just started school this year. And so what I've really been trying to focus on this year is the time allotment that is required to be able to do this work. Because what you find with kids is sometimes it's taking hours for a nugget to come out about school that something was said and then taking the time after that to really fully address it and help her shape her opinion of that and have a biblical understanding of what happened at school um so sometimes it's like you know really late finally we've been home for four hours together but at bedtime we lay down and then she says one thing and you realize that there's a much bigger story about something that happened at school. So parents, it's about A, being able to take that time, but giving them the biblical perspective for how to view that situation that's happening. Because our kids are out. I mean, for us, our kids are out at school. Yeah. Um, and there are things going on throughout their day all the time. And so we really have to be able to A, take the time to be able to help them understand, but also know what to say. Um, You know, I shared with you and probably I think on our last podcast, but we had a situation last year when Ellie came home and she said something that came out of school that took me off guard um, and I wasn't prepared to respond to it. A, at the time she was five. And so I just did not think we were already there and, you know, having to, um, you know, talk about things that might impact her um, faith and so, or, or I come against it, I should say. And so I just was not prepared at that time that, that that was something that she might bring home from school. And so I felt a little frozen in place. Like, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what the right thing is to say to her at this time. And thank goodness my husband walked in as this was going on and I shared with him what she had told me and he was able to give her a really great explanation on um, how what we believe as Christians and how we should respond in those situations and kind of help her form her mind around that. And so another thing with biblical literacy as parents is equipping yourselves to handle that. So you're, you don't run into a situation like me where you're just frozen because you haven't thought through what your response would be if you know something is said to your kids or your kids hear something or experience something at school but rather that you've kind of um, prepared yourself biblically theologically in order to give a good response to them and that and help help shape their mind and also 
I feel like we have to really, you know, equip our kids for all these different things that they might run into in the future, you know, not always reactive, but sometimes proactively helping them understand um, their lives, you know, as believers and how they'll respond at school to to a myriad of situations because we're not going to be able to prepare them for each unique thing that might be said or come up. And I think, we, you know, you you said that they might uh, encounter. I think it's becoming more and more obvious that they will encounter things in their in their lives in their young lives um that was not common for maybe our childhood whenever we were growing up for us to have to even answer certain questions certain things that were assumed whenever we were uh, growing up are no longer assumed you know going back to the foundational ideas that form a society those things are being questioned those things are being upended um one thing i was thinking and you, you just mentioned it but it, you know it's not just the reacting which would be the discipleship as you go it's the proactive which is you know we're not just uh reforming what you know, the culture's done something and formed our kids in a bad way. And now we want to reform that. We're like, oh, wait, wait, that's not true. Right. It, I think there's being on the front end. Yeah. Uh, and doing the work of formation, which is really what, you know, taking responsibility looks like. It's, yeah. hey, you have to take the time. You got to take the responsibility to say there are the truths of God that we want to shape and mold our children in. Not that we're just waiting for our kids to come home one day and say, hey, I heard this at school. Or we hear them say something like, oh, well, you know, I need to come and, and come on the back end of that and, and clean up that mess. Yeah. It's like, no, you want your your child to be able to have all of the tools they need so that when they're met with that, they would be able to say, well, that's not true. You yeah. know, we always joke about it with, uh, if you have children in their car, then you probably need to push pause, okay, in case there's a, a tradition that we're about to ruin here. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we both told our kids about Santa. And um, and we joke about, you know, Ellie going to school and just kind of like, you know, raining on everybody's parade. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, that's, that's more of like an open-handed issue, but it's yeah. a good, it's a good way of saying like, um, whenever other kids are talking about something, she has a whole other worldview that was given to her by you. Yeah. Um, and she's able to be like, well, that's not what, you know, mom said or whatever it may be. And I think a lot of times we don't give our kids that initial, yeah. um, like formation. And so when they come back malformed, then we're like, oh, we need to figure that out. We need to, we need to fix that. It's like, well, we're, ne- we're we are inevitably going to have those moments where we're like, oh man, you know, we need to make sure that we're shepherding our, our child through things that are untrue and, and unhealthy. Nonetheless, we have to do our job yeah. to be forming too, which I yeah. think is what you were getting at with like being proactive, not just reactive. And taking the time, you know, I, we've said, a, uh, the, in our house, we've said, you know, we believe obviously in God and we believe that what God says is true. And so sometimes I have to catch myself and also, you know, being careful to explain things. We, a couple of years ago, we made the decision we were going to stop doing YouTube with our kids, which if you, you know, yeah, I think each parent decides, you know, the boundaries for their own children. But I kept, you know, watching over Ellie's shoulder at YouTube kids. And there's just like so much, you know, just random things that pop up there or like random videos. And anyway, what I would tell her is I would say, Ellie, you can't watch YouTube because YouTube is trash. I just kept saying that YouTube is trash. YouTube is trash. It's not, not terrible, not terrible <laughs> truth though, I'm going to be honest. But one I'm, day I'm I... am waiting to figure out what yeah. the bad thing is. <laughs> I'm just kidding, go ahead. <laughs> but one day I realized, I was like, wait, I've never really... I, I just keep throwing out this word, like you can't do that because YouTube is trash. But really there's much bigger understanding that I have about it that I... And so I sat down and talk, told her, you know, Elliot, I keep telling you... YouTube is trash, but what I mean is there are, you know, a lot of things in there that don't honor the Lord. 
there's also just, you know, things that I just don't feel like we should spend our time in. So I kind of sat down with her and, and took some time to actually explain to her, you know, instead of just taking this easy route, which is like, we don't do that. It's, you know, trash with sharks. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's least common denominator parenting. Yeah. And it, that's necessary sometimes because sometimes you don't, you don't have time to explain yes. yourself. Um, I think that one of the rules of thumb to consider, which it's very difficult once you do, but is trying to figure out why am I being quick? Am I being quick because it's necessary? Or am I being quick because it's convenient? Yes. And sometimes it's necessary to be quick. It's not like you have always all the time in the world to be able to, you know, hash out. Nor do I think it's even good for a child to always need to Understand. have every question yeah. answered. I mean, then you're setting them up for what, what about their faith when the Lord doesn't always give you the whys. Right. Um, however, I think that sometimes what we'll do is we'll we'll be quick out of convenience. Yeah. And even some of our decisions, that's a maybe that's a good takeaway on the parenting an, angle, which is how many decisions do we make about what our children can or cannot do or should be doing or are doing um, has to do with convenience around our schedule, convenience around our pleasures, yeah. convenience around our time. Um, you know, I think I, I, w- I think I saw something. I don't know if I heard this or saw this or. But some person saying, I, when I grew up, I realized that all the things that I couldn't watch or were uh, or the rules around what I could and couldn't watch on TV were just based on my parents' preferences. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that they were really bad. It was just because I don't want to like, watch that. Yes. <laughs> which is which is like if you take that ethic across all of your parenting, that could I be know, unhealthy. I know. It's challenging. But it's easy to do. You know, it's easy to do. Okay. I want to read two quotes to you. Okay. Um, and, then, and then maybe these will be the last ones. And the reason I choose these two quotes is because I think they kind of uncover or illustrate a, a war that has been happening, probably will continue on waging on, which is between people who stand where we're standing right now saying, hey, biblical literacy is a it's a problem and it's something we need to solve in the church versus people. And I've even, I think I've even said this in sermons before, cause I understand the ethic of it. I'm not, I'm not downing anybody for saying this. I just think that we need to carefully think about it. The other side of the equation says, no, we already know plenty. If we, if we could just apply what we know, we need to stop learning more Bible. We need to start applying more Bible. And so I want to read these two quotes to you and then I want to get your thoughts. First one's again from Al Mohler. And he says, we will not believe more than we know, and we will not live higher than our beliefs. The many fronts of Christian compromise in this generation can be directly traced to biblical illiteracy in the pews and the absence of biblical preaching and teaching in our homes and churches, close quote. So he's obviously on the biblical literacy side. Mm. This is a guy named J.D. Myers. There's, uh, you can go look up his bio elsewhere, but uh, he's a pastor, um, blog writer. And he says this, Biblical literacy should no longer be defined as, quote, how much you know about the Bible, close quote, but should be defined instead by, quote, how much you love like Jesus, who reveals to us that God is love, close quote. People typically don't need Bible knowledge to know how to love others. Quite the contrary. An emphasis on Bible knowledge often leads to a lack of love. Close quote. So, obviously, this is kind of the behind-the-scenes argument has been going on between the, I call them like orthodoxy-focused churches, so theology-focused churches, and the orthopraxy-focused churches. So, I mean, this is not like something that's new. So, you know, it's the member of your church who's really mad that, hey, you guys seem to be really committed to the Bible and the truth of the Bible and doing a great job there, but you're terrible at missions, you're terrible at mercy, you're terrible at care. Or the person who comes in and says, man, you guys really love each other, you hug each other, you know each other deeply, you're great at missions, but 
you don't preach the Bible. <laughs> you don't know the scriptures. Yeah. Um, so what do you say to the argument about that, that Christians don't need more Bible? They just need to love like Jesus more. Yeah. I mean, I see the heart in, in JD's quote. So, you know, I argue the first line, biblical literacy should no longer be defined as how much you know about the Bible, but that that is the definition of it. But what he's getting at is that, you know, that ultimately that should lead you to, well, he's saying you don't really need that because everyone knows how to love, but, but what biblical literacy should do is um, cause you to show love to one another. Because when you read the Bible and you read about the life of Jesus, he gave his life selflessly for others. And so when we read the Bible, it shouldn't stop there. I agree with him in that, is that biblical knowledge isn't just for knowledge's sake. It's in order to inform our desires. It's in order to inform our will and ultimately play out in our actions with one another. Um, And so, um, you know, the the heart of that is yes. Should, Should we love others? Yes, but um, biblical literacy should really inform that if we're approaching Bible knowledge correctly and orthodoxy correctly, it, it results in orthopraxis. And so, um, but, but what I would challenge on that quote is that, you know, Bible knowledge isn't required for the love of others because ultimately what we could end up doing is, is only maybe giving, um, or being out there serving and then never sharing the gospel. And then ultimately was, you know, what is that really true love to continuously just give or, or meet the needs of others, but yet never meet their spiritual need. Um, ultimately those things should go hand in hand. We should be, of course, meeting, meeting the needs of others because Jesus, that, that was his heart. We saw him, you know, he gave generously ultimately to us, his life. Um, he taught us to care for one another, Um, but that has to go hand in hand with sharing the gospel as well. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, teach a man to fish fish for his life, you know, or give him fish and he eats for a day. Um, if we just meet the needs of someone that might, you know, meet their needs for a momentary, but we need, we want to, you know, meet the eternal need of the fact that they, they need to hear the gospel. That's yes. to go hand in hand. And I, and I think so. Okay. There's a few things that I, like stand out to me with these quotes. The first is in the second quote, what you see is, Hey, we don't need any more Bible knowledge. We need to love more. In the first quote, Al Mohler seems like the first line says it all to me. We will not believe more than we know, and we will not live higher than our beliefs. To me, he's not saying that we shouldn't live our beliefs. He's saying it's impossible to live higher any than higher than what you do know and believe. And so, Whereas Moeller's saying, yes, I think that we ought to live Christ-like lives of love and character and mission and mercy, uh, but we have to actually know about the king of mercy and love and care and all of those things first, and we have to be able to understand that call and command from God before we're ever going to be able to even do those things. The second quote seems to be saying, no, let's do away with the Bible knowledge thing. Let's just focus. And to to me, what, what that smacks of is... Uh, the false teachers of the new testament yeah you know where they came in and basically said like you know we we don't need all of that that you know paul talks big theology stuff about you know we don't really need that we just need to live like love or live like yeah kindness or whatever it may be and the problem is every every uh action that we take whether it's mercy or whether it's uh, an act of love or whether it's an act of generosity all of those actions are defined by words that have meaning 
Right. And that meaning dictates whether or not that action is worthy yeah. of our efforts. Right. And so if we don't know what mercy is, we can't then actually exactly. attach Show a value mercy. to it mm-hmm. and say, yeah, that's that's valuable. Why is it valuable? Right. You know, well, it just is. It just is because someone else did the hard work right. of actually thinking about why it is. Right. And then handed that down to you. And then you said, well, we don't really need that anymore. I just see that as kind of like cutting the branch off that you're sitting on. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, it should be <laughs> a red flag for any believer to, you know, anything that says we should minimize the word of God. I mean, it is the word of God. It's the living and active word of God, the God that we believe in. And so anytime, I mean, outside of just this quote, and this is why things like Road Academy are important yes. is because you under, you start understanding these like things to watch for. But anytime someone would make a claim to minimize the importance of scripture, I think we're, that should be a, a, a warning flag for us to question what's being said because that should that ultimately will never be our conclusion as believers is to minimize the word of God. I mean, you know, just even saying that it you want to say like what? You know? Yeah. Well, well. So I, I see it as you know we don't need to emphasize the Bible anymore. We need to emphasize love. And when you decide that you want to go away from the Bible in order to love, then the next step is very obvious, which is that you get to redefine love to be whatever you want it to be. Right. Because the Bible doesn't get to define it anymore because we've all decided we've moved beyond it. Yeah. Um, which I just I, I fundamentally think that that's nefarious. I think that's uh, that's a demonic trap. And last thing I'll say about it is the Bible itself is revelatory. So right. it's God revealing himself to us. And, and and that has to be for a purpose. Why would God need to reveal himself to us? The answer is because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And apart from him coming in and giving us that revelatory truth about who he is and yep. who Jesus is, we would continue on in a path of death. So then for us to look at the word and say, no, we've moved beyond that now. Now we can just live in life apart from it. I think that's foolish. And I think it's it's not just foolish. It's foolish to the worst kind of degree. Yeah, it's it's unstable ground. Yes. And ultimately we would... Um, quickly lose our footing down the road, and so yeah. I think we have to we have to cling to God's word. And so I think we would both say, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, or another way to put that would be we want to be theologically sound. We want to be, um, we also want to be active in our faith. We would say yes, yes, but that you can't do uh, B without A. Yes. <laughs> and so just because sometimes people can fall into the trap of doing A without B. Yep. That doesn't mean that you do away with A. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that is, you know, that is the goal. When we talk about orthodoxy or A, I mean, the goal would be that it impacts the output of our lives. So we should be challenged as Christians if we are sitting in a room con- con- continuously just, you know, engaging our minds um, in the word of God and learning more about who God is and what he says. And yet that's not playing out in our lives. We should ask ourselves why that is, really pray through that and, um, you know, you know, ask for the spirit to help us yeah. to uh, act and do as believers as well. And not only to just, you know, sit in a room and think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for joining the podcast, Lolo. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for uh, Providence Road um, and I'm excited to get a lot of people signed up for it. So uh, do you want to tell them how to get signed up before I close out? 
Yeah. Okay. The best way you can do that is by going to our website at ProvidenceTX.org. If you click on the connect menu, you can go down to Providence Road Academy. There you can also learn just more about Providence Road um, in more detail. You can also see our three foundational classes listed there. Um, And the link to register for the first one, Understanding God's Story, is on there. Um, And that first course will run from January 9th to March 27th. Um, and um, it has all the information you need about the class there as well. That's awesome. Also, if you do come on a Sunday morning, which we'd love to invite you to, you can always check out the registration booth. Yep. Lauren's often out there anyway because she'll host that gathering. If not, somebody will be out there, and they can help you find out more. So Exactly. Yep. Well, this concludes uh, this episode of the ProvCast. We want to thank you so much for listening. If you are interested in uh, learning more information about our church, you can check out our website at providencetx.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, um, get all of not just the podcast that come out periodically, but also you'll get every Sunday morning sermon uploaded to your device. Uh, if you want to visit us on a Sunday morning, we got gatherings at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. every week. We would love to have you. And until next time, we want to say make sure and share the love of God that's been shown to you. And we will see you next time on the podcast. Thanks so much for listening.